This is Trinity Church of the Vale Valley, loving God, loving people, and living free. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Ethan, and today is Sunday, May the 21st, 2023. Once again, thank you for joining with me. Okay, so last week we began a new series. It's going to be five or six weeks, I think, a new series focusing on the prayers of the Apostle Paul. Not all of them, but a handful of the really big, significant prayers of Paul. Of course, they're all significant. In any case, we're looking at these prayers as a lens of seeing the emphasis and focus of prayer throughout the New Testament. And our hope is, is that by the end of this study, we can really reflect, consider if our emphasis of prayer, right, in our own lives that we see practiced kind of generally in the church, if this actually is reflective and expressive of the New Testament's emphasis of prayer. Now, the theme of the entire study If we look closely into both the teaching and the presence of prayer in the New Testament, we will see that there is prayer from the heart of God, right? Prayer that flows from the heart of God because it's prayer that the Holy Spirit of God motivated the writers of the New Testament to pray. And we looked at 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. It really encapsulates this principle. And this is where John says, Now this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Wow, that is something to go chew on. But the big point here is that there is prayer that is in the will of God, prayer that is in the heart of God, that we can look to and know that this is how the Holy Spirit would lead us to pray. And the big point last week is that one of the most powerful ways for us to discern and learn how the Holy Spirit will lead us to pray is to look at how the Spirit led the writers of the New Testament to pray. This is the principle. When we hear biblical writers pray in specific ways and for specific things, this is prayer. We can know in the New Testament, that this is prayer motivated by the Holy Spirit, that this is prayer that flows from the heart of God. And so with that as a background, by the way, if you missed last week, I really encourage you to go back and listen to it. Again, we laid the, frame, laid the foundation, kind of built a framework that we are now going to start using as we go through these different prayers. And we're starting with the great pastoral prayer in the opening paragraphs of Ephesians chapter 1. And it's Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 20. And friends, here we see one of the predominant themes of New Testament prayer, and it's that through faith in Christ, simply put, but profoundly important, that we would know God. You know, the idea of knowing someone is, well, you know this, right? It's core to who we are as people. While some of us are a bit more introverted than others, we all have a God-created desire to know each other. We are relational. You know, the way we go about satisfying this desire for relationship, it can be positive and sometimes it can be destructive. But we can't escape the reality that God created us to exist, to live in community, in relationship. You know, at a very high level, in general sense, there are three levels of knowing someone. 
right, kind of at the most basic level, is to know about a person, about the life of a person, right? I say I've got a musician I really like. I could read about them and all the stuff. I could even go to a concert and see them up on the stage. I could know about them, yeah, but that's, that's it. The second level, then, is to experience life with a person, maybe a parent, a friend, or on a much more intimate level, a spouse, okay? I'm experiencing life with that person. But after that, we get to the realm of the spiritual. And this is when we receive life from a person. And friends, this is the level of knowing that God created us for and that Christ came so that we could enter into this level of knowing God through Him. You know, knowing God, not just a set of instructions or a model, not just knowing about God, not even going through life with God, but knowing God, experiencing God as our very life, receiving life from Him. And this is what Jesus was pointing to, and John records near the end of his gospel in John 17, 3, when Jesus said, Now this is eternal life, right? Now this is life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Right? That's part of Jesus' great prayer at the end of the upper room narrative before they would go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus prays, Lord, this is life. This is eternal life that they may know you. And my friends, it is this hope that we would come to know God as our life. This is what is at the core of Paul's opening prayer for the Ephesians. So let's just read this in its entirety. If you don't have your Bible, pause the, the, the audio here, go grab your Bible, come back so you can really see this and really read it in your own Bible. But in any case, here we are in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. Paul writes, he says, For this reason, ever since I have heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking, right? I keep praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, some translations say in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. For that power is the same as the mighty strength that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Okay. Friends, just a little bit of context. If you go read verses 1 through 14 of Ephesians, I mean, this is at a high level, but you go and you read that and you see it's all about what God has done. In Christ, what God has done to make it possible for us, His creation, to be brought into a relationship with Him. Again, so that we may know Him, express Him, experience Him. And now in verse 15, Paul begins his prayer by saying, that's the reason I'm praying. Right? He says, for this reason, right, that God has created and called us to know him, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Ah, guys, you can almost feel Paul's passion here. Are you saying, as soon as I heard about you and your faith in Christ, right, that your faith is being shown through your love, I have been giving thanks to God for you and continuously 
praying for you. And the first thing Paul prays is that these young believers would receive from God wisdom and revelation. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. You know, this statement is interesting, and it's been interpreted kind of in two general ways. First of all is the, the interpretation, which is most likely the case, is that Paul is referring to the Holy Spirit. Um, likely your translation, when he says that the Father may give you the spirit of wisdom, that has a capital S. And this fits because apart from the Holy Spirit, we cannot know God. It is through the Holy Spirit that we may receive the gifts of wisdom and revelation from God. So these two words, wisdom and revelation, okay? Wisdom really is, one definition could be given to it, is the ability to know and discern the true nature of things, whatever those things may be, right? To see and understand the world as God does. And revelation, this is more the ability to understand what God has chosen to show us about himself, his nature, his ways, his kingdom, his purposes, Another way to interpret this is that spirit is a disposition, right? While we've already been given the spirit when we first became a believer, Paul may be, part of his emphasis here may be that we would have a posture, a disposition of listening, of hearing what God is telling us. You know, as Jesus said, that we would have ears to hear. In either understanding, though, the focus is the same. The point of wisdom and revelation, the purpose of having a posture of listening to God, is so that we may know God better, right? Deepen our relationship with Him, right? And this isn't just some informational knowing, right? Just pure doctrine, and doctrine's important. But this is an experiential knowing. It's personal. It's that third level of knowing. And we see this emphasis in what Paul then goes on and prays next, verse 18, the beginning of verse 18. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be opened or enlightened in order that, right, hit pause, okay, the eyes of our heart, this is an interesting phrase. You know, our eyes are just the way we receive and perceive visually the world around us. Our heart is our soul, our conscious self, our mind, our will, our emotions, right, the seat of who we are. And so Paul here is praying that in all of who we are, we would be able to perceive, to see, to know the full truth of who God is. You know, the word there, enlightened, this is the image of something coming to fully understand what we may have only before, right, only dimly seen or heard. A number of years ago, well, a good number of years ago, over 20 years ago, Lisa and I took our kids camping, and we went down to the Great Sand Dunes National Monument, which is down in southern Colorado. A little plug for it. If you've never been, it's down near Alamosa. If you've never been to the Great Sand Dunes, you, you need to go if you're here in the States sometime. It, it's, it's surreal. They're mind-blowing. And I'd never been before. And so we went there, and Lisa and the kids had gone on earlier during the day. I had to work through the day. And so a buddy of mine, the other family that went with us, we drove later that evening. And so when we got there, it was pitch dark, right? No moon, super dark night, just enough ambient light that when we pulled into the campground, I could see the outline. I knew that um, behind the, the sand dunes, the, this amazing mountain range called the San Juan de Cristos. And... Um, the Sangre de Cristo um, range. 
And so when we pulled in, you could just barely make out that far distant outline um, of the high mountainous range of the Sangre de Cristos. But what happened is, so we, so we, you know, the tents are all, our wives had set up the camp. We got in our tents. So the next morning I wake up and I step out of the tent and it's like this flash of cognitive dissonance when my brain realized that what I had thought was the distant line of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains was actually the, the, the top ridge line of the sand dunes themselves because they're just that big. It was mind-blowing, right? I came to fully understand something that I had only dimly seen before. And that's just a glimpse of what Paul is praying for, that we would come to know God in a way that is deeper and more profound than just intellectual knowledge or knowing about Him. And with these enlightened and opened eyes of our heart, Paul goes on and really gives us three attributes of God that he prays we would know. And the first is that we would know God's hope. Going on in verse 18, he says, I pray that you would know the hope to which God has called you. I mean, how do you sum up the hope that is ours in Christ? I mean, it's pretty much impossible. I mean, this is a hope that we see throughout Scripture in many different ways. It is a hope that is seen throughout history. It is the heartbeat of the martyrs, of people whose circumstances cry out against them, right? of those who grieve, of those who comfort. In Christ, we have moved from being prisoners of despair to prisoners of hope. Right? That's actually a little quote from Nelson Mandela. But Paul's main thinking here is almost certainly about our hope and certainty of our salvation, the hope we have looking beyond this life into the future of eternity. But that's not all. We also see, again, when we zoom out and look broader in Scripture, the hope that we have in Christ right now, that in the midst of a fallen world, in the midst of life as it really is, we have already received all that we need in Christ, through faith in Christ, to prevail, to live lives that are full, that give glory to God, even in the midst of our struggles. He prays that we would know the hope of God. So much we could talk about there. But going on, not only do we possess the strength of hope, Paul prays we would come to know God's riches. I said, I pray that you would know the hope to which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. All right. This is difficult to even comprehend what we just read. Paul prays that we would know God's riches. Right? God's prized possession, God's inheritance. Right? What is that? Right? What could be something so significant that God, that the God, the God of the universe would say, this is my inheritance to myself? You know what it is? It's the saints. It's his holy people. It is the church. It's the body of Christ. My friends, it is us. I mean, just try to comprehend that. I mean, God is the creator and possessor of the universe. I mean, think of it this way. If God came to you in a vision, let's say Gabriel shows up one night and says, hey, got some great news. God wants to give you anything in his creation, anything that all, anything at all that belongs to him. And by the way, everything belongs to him. I mean, what are you going to choose? 
would you choose other people, right? Just as they are warts and failures at all? <laughs> Probably not. And yet, friends, the scripture declares that we are God's inheritance. Again, consider it this way. Friends, when Christ returns in glories, in glory, right, one day to put all things to right, that's the way N.T. Wright puts it, I love that, to put things to right, when time as we know it comes to an end and eternity becomes all that we know, Scripture proclaims that God will then claim his great inheritance, that he purposed before the foundation of the world to be his, and that this great inheritance, God's precious creation, is you. It is the church. It's all believers. All right. It's more than we could talk about there. But friends, knowing this, that we are his, that he has claimed us, possessed us, and will take us to be his for all eternity, these truths are the glorious riches that God wants us to know. You know, it's, it's just tragic. That's a strong word, but I think it's appropriate. It's tragic when we interpret the riches of God, the great blessings of God, just in terms of temporary things. And friends, God's riches to us is what is already true of us in Christ. And these are riches, by the way, that are fully available to all believers all the time, not just the privileged few we sometimes look at thinking, wow, look at how God has blessed them. I pray that he would give me those riches of blessings as well. Oh, my friends, no. God has already blessed you. We already have received the riches of knowing the fullness of the truth that we are God's inheritance. Wow. Finally, moving on, wrapping up this opening prayer, Paul prays that we would know God's power. He said, may the eyes of your heart be opened that you may know God's power. Verse 19, Paul says, and his incomparably great power. I pray that you would know his incomparably great power for us who believe. Well, again, this is just an incredible statement. Paul prays that we, in, in our weakness, that we would know and experience the fullness of the power of God. Well, what is Paul even talking about here? I mean, is this just power to get by? Power just to cope with life a little better than, than we have in the past or a little better than the rest of the world? Or is this power to help ourselves? Oh, my friends, far from it. Paul goes on and he describes this power. He says, this is verse 20. That power is like the working of God's mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Friends, did you hear that? Paul prays that we would have resurrection power, new creation power, Christ living in you and through you power. All right, let's, let's just think about for a moment, if we zoom out and look at the good news, right, the gospel and the broader lens of the New Testament, what are ways that we see the invitation for us to experience and express the power of God in the midst of life as it really is. Just several came to my mind. One, and all of these reference Scripture in some way, 
But one is power to be set free from the sins that so easily entangle us. To truly experience over time, even though we're never going to fully get there in this life, but freedom from the brokenness of sin. Power to grieve, but to grieve with hope. How about power to forgive, even as we have been forgiven? The power to love each other deeply from our heart. The power to be kind and patient and merciful and full of grace to all people. How about the power to build bridges with God's love rather than walls out of our fear? It's the power to live lives of rich generosity and overflowing joy, even, the, even in the midst of severe trial and extreme poverty. My friends, the power, resurrection power, is the power to bind the hearts of the brokenhearted. It's the power to go to those who need the light of Christ's hope rather than just sitting back and accept, expecting them to come to us or saying, if, hey, if, if they want to know the goodness of Christ, they can cross all the bridges and come to us. No, it's the power and the courage and the grace to go to them. It's the power and the courage to love those whom others detest, to serve those others avoid, to bring light to those that our religious pride may say, you know, they should just be left in their darkness. My friends, resurrection power is the power to set aside our pride, to surrender, and to come before the throne of grace with confidence to seek and find help from God in our time of need. And it is the power to do the will of God because we want to, serving wholeheartedly, because we are serving the Lord and not men. Now, my friends, Paul's prayer for the Ephesians stands before us as an incredible promise and as a profound challenge. I mean, think of it. What would it look like if all of us sincerely, right, as a pre predominant, right, defining characterization of our prayer life began to pray this way, right, continuously, Praying this way for our children, for our spouses, for our friends, for the church, and that this gift could be known by the world around us. Praying that we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the eyes of our heart would be opened, that we may know God better, that we would know his hope, that we would know the riches of being a part of his body, his people, and that we would know and experience his power right now in the midst of life as it really is. My friends, this is a prayer that flows from the heart of God. And it is a prayer that God desires to answer in our lives. Church, I love you. Thanks for tracking with me today. And I will see you again next week as we go to the second great pastoral prayer in the book of Ephesians which is in Ephesians chapter 3. That's where we'll be going next Sunday, and we'll see you then.